0: 27.
1: Let's One more. Let's sing uh, 441. 441. 441. Thank you.
0: know that the first Super Bowl cost twelve dollars per ticket, and now it's about $1,000 for general entrance, general admission, up to $2,500 and plus, and so, if you've got that kind of money to see a sporting event because it's a, a great value to you, then, you know, I don't know about that. I'm just telling you, this is the biggest thing, and I know something about the game. Uh, there was a previous Super Bowl before 1967, it's in the Bible, did you know this? There was a super contest between a young boy and a giant. He was not from New York, but he was a giant, a real giant. And he came down the valley, and this young boy came down the valley. He ran to him, as a matter of fact. He was anxious to defeat him, and it was was an unfair fight. It was an unfair fight. I'll tell you another story about a man who was against false prophets of Baal, 850 of them. That too was an unfair fight. Now you might be asking, how can that be unfair? Well, one against 850—that's pretty unfair. Giant against a boy—that's pretty unfair. But the unfairness really was this: it was the fact that the 850 prophet of Baal did not have a God on their side, and the giant did not have a God on their side. So it's an unfair fight. God was on the side of little David and Elijah the prophet. And in both cases, a dramatic defeat in these two, I call it Super Bowls, of um, not sports competition, but real life, good against evil, the devil's people against God's people. And it was, uh, to me, like uh, the original Super Bowls. Now, if you think about it, probably there's another Super Bowl going go back to eternity as well. The devil himself, Lucifer himself, against death, uh, but uh, Jesus Christ. And so, all three of them are unfair. You never want to fight against God. You never want to go against what God says is true. And in all of these cases, uh, the ones who did not have the true God on their side, they lost. Now, by the way, speaking about football, how are scrambled eggs and uh, a football, losing football team the same? What's the parallel between scrambled eggs and the losing football team? They've both been beaten.
2: (laughs) They've both been
0: beaten. Okay, you like that so well. I'll give you another football little brain teaser. Which player is the easiest target to hit with a football? Which football player is the easiest to hit as a target? The wide receiver. Jake, you didn't like that, Jake? Oh, brother. Well, here's some good news. Uh, Sister Loretta had a procedure done, had a stent put into her, successful, she feels a lot better, she feels great, a lot of energy and so on, so praise the Lord for a good medicine. So that's a blessing here, Loretta, and um, let's see, I wrote something else down here, I can't read my writing, so I guess I can't report that. Um, No, you can't read it too, Look, see, looks like baby spindle or something.
3: Oh the baby sprinkle. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> baby sprinkle back there for uh what is her name? Crystal. 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 Bella does not help. Nothing helps. But uh, so baby sprinkle baby sprinkle back there. Thank you ladies for participating, being a blessing to her. And uh, when are you due? Twenty eight. 28th.
1: 28th.
0: Okay, our uh, car's got to be fixed before then.
4: <laughs>
0: Tomorrow's the appointment. Please pray for that car to be uh, worked on properly, get done at the dealership. Uh, but that's kind of an oxymoron. It's just like taking a patient to tripler to get fixed. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one. You know, we are glad you're here in church today. Really, we are, and. Um, if you're a visitor today thanks for being here appreciate you checking up on us and if we can help you further after today's services uh, you have a phone number please contact us we'll to you. But we want to be a help to you as much as we can uh, we know one thing uh, there's many kinds of churches many kinds of churches many kinds of baptist churches many other independent baptist churches on this island. and if we can be a help to you if we can be a blessing to you and so on we'd be glad to do that And we know that not everyone will be back to church. That's just the nature of life and what you're looking for. And so we hope what you're looking for, you'll find here. We hope so. We hope that you won't um, uh, find us to be stuffy, uh, 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 unfriendly. We hope you won't find us like that. We hope you find us instead to be uh, kind and welcoming. We hope you find us to be people that try to follow the Bible. And uh, is think they coming up pretty soon? I guess it is. Now, let me say this about that most them for Just a minute. Uh, in the name of in the name of love and charity, uh, there is a limit to that. In other words, in the name of love, you're not you can't do everything that you feel like doing or want to do. You can't do that as a Christian. And a church that has love cannot open itself to do all kinds of things just because it wants to accommodate a lot of people. Having said that, uh, the church does have a body of beliefs. It's a doctor's statement. We try to adhere to that, follow that. It governs how we practice and how we teach and so on. So we, we go by that. And uh, if you want to see further what we believe, then you're welcome to do that. And then um, if this is the kind of church that you feel like you can be a part of or... Uh, a church that you can participate in, and so like that. We'll be glad to talk to you about that. And so, um, like I say, not everybody fits in the same place, and neither should it be that way. We don't want people to come and be a part of if you're going to find that there are differences down the road. Down the road, It doesn't make any sense, does it? So it's good to find out firsthand above the beginning to know what's going on. So feel free to ask questions, and we'll be glad to answer anything that you may have a question about. But uh, having said that, we're glad to here in church. Okay, so um, we, we want you to be here. We're glad to have you come, regulars and visitors. we do long for regulars to be back in church uh, as they used to be. And we do want people to come visit our church and you know find that this is the kind of place that God will happen to be. And that's all part of it too. And so we don't want you to not be here. We want you to be here. Okay, now I'll have to just qualify that statement by saying this, by explanation. I'm not, I'm not a pushy man. I'm not an aggressive man. Um, I don't, I don't reach out and grab you by your throat kind of thing. I don't do that, and I feel uncomfortable doing that. And so, if you initiate questions, we'll be glad. I'll be glad to sit down, and spend all day with you. Okay, whatever you have, questions-wise, we're we'll glad to do that. But I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable reaching out too much. Okay. Uh, I used to be in sales years ago, decades ago. I used to sell Kirby vacuum cleaners. I think he was sold it too, and that's why the company went broke. But I um, uh, used to do that, and we were taught certain sales techniques. And uh, I never liked doing that because a lot of it was hard sell, Aggressive, pushing, you know, and uh, let me tell you this. We, I once demonstrated in a customer's house, potential customer's house, and um, sorry, they came to our house. They came to our house. We had gone to a trade show, and then we filled out this little form for a free sale of steak knives, back there at the Blaisdell, and so we put it in a box. And then somebody called us, oh, we got your name, and you got a free, you got a free stainless stainless. Is that right? Yeah, all you gotta do is let us come by and demonstrate the Kirby Vacuum Cleaner. Well, how long is this gonna take? Oh, about two hours, it went about three and a half. But anyway, okay, free nice. so they came by. We had a, a canister vacuum cleaner. Worked pretty good, we thought. This guy came out with the with aircraft carrier and the B-52s and everything, <laughs> and he showed everything. It was very impressive. And he got this canister and he, he went over our couch and picked up all this stuff that we were sitting on. Oh no. And then he said, now if you run this on your bed sheets, you know, pick up all this stuff that you're sleeping on. And we thought, oh, gross. And it, the way it was, I'm uh, was very impressive. And you have kids, yes. And they are back in the car, this is what your kids are playing on, you horrible parents. We felt like that. And we were like, oh, and this guy said this. Well, let me just go to the car and I'll take your junk vacuum cleaner with me and I'll bring in a new one. He went and he grabbed. I said, "Oh, oh, oh, oh!" See, that was aggressive. Aggressive salesmanship. I said, you're not doing that. Oh, well, don't you want your kids to be healthy? Don't you want your family to have health? I said, yeah, but no, you're not taking that. Bring it back over here. He's actually going to do that. That's hard sell. We don't like to do that. (laughs) We don't like to do that. When it comes to witnessing, we don't like to do that. When it comes to... We don't do that. We just want to tell you that, okay, we believe certain things, and if we can help with that, great. Okay, so that's where we stand. Does that make sense? Makes sense. All right. Okay, let's do this. Before we dismiss um, the Chinese ministry to their service, let's just go ahead and stand and shake hands with one another and say hello to somebody. Tell them to God that you're they're seeing, they're seeing them in church. All right, let's stand, please. <laughs> 진도에 <목소리도> ring John says, 1st John says, we love him because he first loved us. I'm glad our God is not a mean, harsh, pagan, Hindu, Muslim type of a God, the good God. Amen. Alright, let small kids go and then...
3: Character study: Looking at different characters in the Bible. Today, we're going to look at Rehoboam, King Rehoboam. So go ahead and turn to Chronicles chapter, Second Chronicles chapter twelve. Second Chronicles chapter twelve. Second Chronicles chapter twelve. Chronicles chapter 12. Chronicles chapter 12. I'll give you. Couple minutes. I still hear pages flipping. Not one of the most read books of the Bible, is it? Second Chronicles. All right. Second Chronicles, chapter twelve. We're going to read verse one. It says, "And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him." In the Bible. We have several examples where someone did evil, they were confronted because of what they did, and then the outcome was based on their reaction. We have examples like King David. Of course, we know King David, he committed adultery and murder, and then he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. Nathan's response to the prophet uh, was largely... Det- determined the outcome As far as God's judgment We have the king Ahab Who was confronted because of his sin We have the nation of Israel Who was confronted by different prophets We have the city of Nineveh That was confronted by the prophet Jonah and of course we see how they repented And, and then God withheld judgment from them Now Rehoboam King Rehoboam is one of those examples That we're going to look at in the Bible And if you Remember with the history of the kings of the nation of Israel, it started out with Saul being the first king of Israel, and then David, and then Solomon, and after that, the kingdom split. The kingdom split into the, uh, or the na- I should say the nation of Israel split into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Jeroboam took the northern kingdom. Solomon's son Rehoboam took the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom maintained the name Israel. And then the southern kingdom became the uh, the kingdom of Judah. And so Rehoboam was the king of Judah. And my title of this message is The Reproach of Rehoboam. The Reproach of Rehoboam. And uh, re- the word reproach means a disgrace or a shame. And I'm going to show you some reasons why I title my message as such. Because Rehoboam, we're going to see some mistakes that he did and the outcome of those mistakes that he made in the Bible during his reign as a king. Number one number one I want to talk about the rejection Rehoboam's rejection rejection of what? The rejection, look at verse one again and it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him He rejected the law of the Lord. That's his rejection, rejecting God's word, rejecting the law of the Lord. We're going to see uh, that under his leadership, the southern kingdom, Judah, they went into idolatry. The Bible even says in 1 Kings chapter 14, it says there were sodomites in the land. Idolatry, sodomy, sodomy we know in the Bible is another word for homosexuality. That's how bad it got under the reign of Rehoboam. Why is that? Why did he allow that to happen under his leadership? Look at verse 14. It's going to tell us why. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, look at verse 14. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. That's why he did evil. Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Many times when people do wicked things, it's because their heart is wicked. You wonder why people do certain things? It's because of their heart. There's a famous preacher, and he he had a a sermon or or a saying, and he said, Your heart is the heart of the matter. Your heart is the heart of the matter. The Bible uses the word heart uh, almost uh, synonymously with, with your mind. And, and the Bible talks about as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Jesus said, out, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. People do things, they say things, they think things because of their heart, because of their, their mind, because of, of the, the, uh, the way that they think and they feel and, and that their, their decisions and their, their emotions and things like that are all connected with the heart with the heart. Contrast that with somebody like Ezra. In the Bible, in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says this, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. We see in the Bible that Rehoboam, he did not prepare his heart to seek after God. We see that Ezra prepared his heart to seek after God. So As a Christian, you need to prepare your heart to seek after God. It is possible for a Christian, a born-again Bible-believing Christian, to not prepare his heart to seek after God. There are some things that you need to do after you're saved in order to continue to live the Christian life, and one of those things has to do with your heart. You must prepare your heart to seek after God, to follow after God, to follow the commandments of God. And Rehoboam did not do that. You know what's interesting is Rehoboam's father was the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon, King Solomon. The Bible says Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And so he, he Solomon uh, should have imparted some of that wisdom to Rehoboam. Now maybe he did and Rehoboam uh, consciously made a decision to reject that wisdom. It's very possible. You know, there are many pastor's kids that are very wicked and evil, (laughs) or at least for a while. Have you ever heard of Katy Perry, pop singer? A lot of these teenage or younger girls follow her music, and, and one of her hit songs was, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. Did you know I read that her father is a pastor, or was a pastor? Yeah? Did you know that there are a lot of uh, some of these these musicians and these people that that stray away and and uh, they get into the you know the entertainment industry and the music industry and and uh, have some really really sick wicked uh, lyrics and things like that and they they had a church upbringing some of them got their start singing in the church choir and then we see when they get older we see the path that they take I know of a, a pastor's son and he said that he's an atheist uh, just because your father's a pastor or or Uh, Just because you're raised in a Christian home is not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to turn out right. And we see that with Rehoboam. We see that with other people in the Bible. Uh, We see some of David's sons in the Bible actually did that. Uh, It is possible to reject the law of the Lord and reject the commandments of God even though you are a Christian. There's no guarantee that you're going to stay on the right path just because you're saved. You know what Paul wrote to Timothy about Demas, his companion in the ministry? His missionary partner, he said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. Demas forsook Paul. Why? The world. The world was it too attracted to Demas? For something got in in the way, and in, in his heart, and he didn't prepare his heart, or he didn't keep his heart right to seek after God. Jesus told his own, asked his own disciples, he said, "Will ye also go away?" Because the Bible says some of his disciples they fled and and. And follow him no more. And Jesus turns to the twelve. You you guys going to leave too? You guys going to quit? You guys going to go away with them because they were offended at what I said? It's possible. It's very possible. Rehoboam, he strengthened himself instead of relying on God's strength during his kingdom, during his reign. And that's one of the reasons why he forsook the law of the Lord. And that's one of the reasons why it resulted in in the idolatry and some of those other things that happen. Uh, you know, there's there's a verse, it says, Lo, this, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. It says in Psalms chapter 52, verse 7. You ever seen some people that they, they don't need God whenever everything is going well in their life? They For some reason they forget to to need God. They have health, they have money, they have a good job, they have, everything's going well for them, and because of that, they think, well, I don't need God. Oh, that's, I don't need, I don't need religion, as they say. I don't need the Bible. That's for the down and outers. That's for the criminals. That stuff is for the drug addicts. That's for those people. Those, you ever heard, Somebody say, "Oh, uh, these those people, they really need it." Somebody, somebody who's not saved, self righteous, they think they're a good person. You try to witness to him or something, and or tell him about the Bible or invite him to church. He said, "You know, I've heard this at work. Oh, you know, I've had somebody come up to me. Hey, uh, are you still you still involved in the church and stuff? You ought to go talk to so and so. He really needs it. <laughs> he does. Why is that? Why? Because he's what?" Well, he's an alcoholic or he's having some marital problems or something. Oh, he really needs it. And and what? And you don't? He needs it more than you? Why is that? Oh, because because everything's going well in your life. Oh, but so-and-so, he got into some legal trouble or marital problems or, or, or drugs or something. He really needs it. I remember a street ministry when I was in Bible college and, and some people, we were out downtown and witnessing people passing out tracts and they would... They would point to uh, this section in town where there were some strip clubs and some bars and they say, oh, you guys should be down there. They really need it. See, that's the attitude of people. Self-righteous. They don't think that they need the gospel. They don't think that they need to follow the law of the Lord because everything is seemingly going well in their life. Bull may have gotten into that problem. He didn't think that he needed God. I have found that On the average, poor people are more receptive to the gospel than rich people. I have gone door to door, and I've done in certain neighborhoods and things around the country, and I have found that the poor people in the ghetto seem to be more responsive and welcoming to the gospel than the rich people. That's because the rich people, they think, well, I don't need God. (laughs) Look at me. Look. Look what I have. I don't need God. You need to go to reach those other people. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, "Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, who is the Lord? That's the attitude of a lot of people. Now, there's something else about Rehoboam. I want to talk about his retribution. Retribution. His. Uh, punishment his payback for his forsaking of the law of the Lord let's read beginning of verse two second chronicles chapter twelve verse two and it came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam Sheshak king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem notice this because they had transgressed against the Lord verse three with twelve hundred chariots and three score thousand horsemen and the people were without number that came with him out of Egypt. The Lubims, the sukims and the Ethiopians, he took the fence cities which pertained to Judah and came to Jerusalem. Did you notice in verse 4 the reason why the king of Egypt invaded because it says... Why was that? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 2. It says, Because they had transgressed against the Lord. That's divine providence. Divine providence. You know, all of these different affairs and different wars and things, invasions in the world, all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, and even in modern times, God allows those things to happen for certain reasons. And some of the reasons we see in the Bible... Is because of its chastisement and chastening of wicked people. He did that with the nation of Israel. He allowed unsaved Gentile pagan kings to invade Israel as punishment for their sin. God is involved in the political affairs of this life. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. We see that in the book of Daniel. God was instrumental in the political affairs of the world with different the, the rise and falls of different kingdoms. God will withhold his protection from somebody and allow somebody else to afflict him as a form of chastisement, as a form of punishment. He's done that with nations. He can do that in an individual's life. We've seen that. He can do that in the life of a Christian. He can, he does, and he will. He will withhold protection. People will rebel against God, against God's laws. Then God says, okay, you you don't want to obey me. And you know one of the reasons why God has commanded certain things in the Bible? It's for our own protection. God says, I have given you these rules and these laws for your own protection, and if you don't obey them, then they are not going to protect you. There was a protest where these motorcycle riders were protesting a law that was trying to require them to wear a helmet. During that protest, one of the motorcyclists crashed and died from hitting his head without wearing a helmet. During the actual protest of protesting wearing helmets, he hit his crash, died. No helmet. Why? Rebelling against the very thing that was going to protect him. If I give certain rules to my little boys, it's to protect them. And then if they don't obey those rules, then they are in jeopardy of getting injured and harmed. And when people rebel against the rules and the laws and the commandments that God has given them, then God uh, may not protect them because those things are there. They are in place. They they are designed to protect them from injury and harm and destruction. Same thing with Gentile captivity Israel. Israel went into Gentile captivity God said, you obey me, you obey my commandments, they're there to protect you. If you don't obey my commandments, then there's going to be some retribution. There's going to be some repercussions. There's going to be a price to pay. And so God chastened the nation of Israel. The Bible says, if ye be without chastisement, then are ye bastards and not sons. He said, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. What does that mean? Discipline, whip, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. What is a scourge? It's a whip. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, the nation of Israel is a nation. God considered the nation of Israel, his, his sons and daughters, as a nation. And then in the New Testament, born-again, Bible, born-again believers, Christians, are called individually sons of God. And God chastens... His children, just like a parent chastens his children, the Bible says in Psalms one hundred nineteen seventy one, "It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn Thy statutes." Rehoboam was afflicted. Rehoboam was afflicted because of his rejection of the law of the Lord. And then I want to talk about a positive. Attribute of Rehoboam. Excuse me. His repentance. Look at verse 6. Whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves. And they said, the Lord is righteous. Now that's a good thing that we can talk about as far as Rehoboam. His attitude, his reaction. He humbled himself when he was afflicted. When he was invaded. by, When he was afflicted by the king of Egypt, he realized, you know what? I made a mistake. I blew it. He could have rebelled. He could have gotten mad. He could have gotten bitter and rebelled more against God. And some people do that, which is a terrible mistake. But like the nation of Nineveh, when they were confronted by the prophet Jonah, what did he do? He humbled himself. He didn't get proud and arrogant and shake his fist at God and claim to be mistreated. He humbled himself, it says themselves, and they, they, not just the king. The Lord is righteous. You know what? The Lord is right for doing this. God is right and I'm wrong. I'm the one to blame. It's like when Nathan confronted David. Thou art the man. David said, wow, you're right. I'm the one who was at fault not God's fault my fault when God chastens his people the attitude you should have is I was wrong God's right I deserve this in fact I deserve more than this the Bible says in Lamentations and other places it says that um, we deserve even worse than what we've gotten and so he repented Notice it involves humility and acknowledgement. Did you know that when you repent, it can cause God to repent? Let me show you. Go to Jeremiah chapter 26. What does repent mean? That's a good question, isn't it? I've gone over this before. There's Sometimes there's confusion and misunderstandings over the word repent. What does repent mean? You know, the word repent basically means to change your mind. A change of mind which results in a change of action. Did you know that God repented in the Bible? The most common definition I hear people say of repent is it means to be sorry for your sins. Not necessarily. That can be a result of repentance. I've heard people say it means to ask for forgiveness of your sins. Let me ask you a question. Did God repent in the Bible? Yes. Was God sorry for his sins? No. No. God never sinned. Did God ask for forgiveness of his sin? No. God never sinned. So repent does not necessarily mean that. Now that could be when you're applying it to a Christian or somebody who has sinned and then they repent. That can be a result of their repentance. But let me show you in the Bible that God repented. Go to Jeremiah chapter 26. Look at verse 3. If so, be they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. Basically, God says, If you repent, I will repent. If you change... Now, what are they repenting of? Or from? Sin, evil, wickedness. If you change your mind and change your heart... And stop doing those things. If you repent, in that sense, then I will repent, God will repent of the evil that He was going to do to you because of the evil that you did. You understand? By you repenting, you can cause God to repent. Repent of what? Of the chastening that He would do because of your wickedness. Because of your lack of repentance. They recommend... Mechanics and people, they recommend that you do preventive maintenance if you own a vehicle, preventive maintenance, so that your car, well, we know inevitably every car breaks down, that's just the laws of physics and thermodynamics, but there are certain things that you can do to try to prevent your car from breaking down unnecessarily. They say, number one, do your own inspection. You know, you go, you have to get your annual in- inspection, and you know, all of that. They say, well, do your own inspection. They say, learn to check your fluids, you know, your oil and your uh, brake fluid and, and coolant and power steering fluid and all of that. Check your own fluids. They say, inspect and get your timing and certain serpentine belts replaced when necessary. They say, check your oil and get it changed regularly. Check your battery and clean the contacts. Replace your cabin air filter. Replace your engine air filter. Get your tires rotated and balanced and your alignment checked. Check your, change your spark plugs. They say that a snapped timing belt can cause up to $2,000 worth of damage in your car. So get your timing belt changed before it happens. That's called preventive maintenance. Take care of your vehicle so that you don't have unnecessary repairs. You know, your Christian life, you need to exercise preventive maintenance. Check yourself. Check your the condition of your heart. Check about the things that you're doing if they line up with the Word of God. Preventive maintenance. What are you preventing? The chastisement of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 31. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. God says, look, if judge yourself." How do you judge yourself? Well, you know how to judge other people, right?
4: <laughs>
3: Thou shalt not judge. How many you ever heard of that? When you say something's wrong and then people, they misquote the Bible and they judge you and tell you that you're not supposed to judge. When they're telling you that, they're judging you. They're being a hypocrite. That, you're not supposed to judge. Well, then why are you judging me? The Bible says... If we would judge ourselves, look into the mirror of God's Word. Okay, you looked in the mirror this morning, hopefully, before you came to church. What did you do? You looked, see how if you're presentable, brush your hair and all of that. And okay, Look in the mirror of God's Word and judge yourself. Look at the mirror. The mirror does not lie. No matter how pretty you think and handsome and good looking you think you are, the mirror does not lie. And this mirror does not lie. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. And so you look in the mirror of God's word, and then you compare yourself with this. You say, okay, how do I line up? What's the mirror telling me? And the Bible says, right here, right here, right here, right here, you need to fix these areas. You're judging yourself. And you say, okay, yep, humble yourself just like Rehoboam did. Repent, yep, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. Humble yourself, acknowledge it, repent, change your mind about it, prepare your heart to seek after God. Preventive maintenance. And the Bible says if you do that, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Meaning, okay, I'm going to judge myself, I'm going to take care of it so that God doesn't have to step in and judge, judge me because I'm not doing it myself. And when God has to do it, then it says, but when we are judged of God, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not... Be condemned with the world. God says, okay, I gave you chance after chance and warning, and you're not doing it, you're getting careless. Now I have to step in and I have to do something that's going to get your attention and get you back on the right path. And it's not pleasant. So you need to exercise preventive maintenance in the Christian life. All right, now I'm going to talk about Rehoboam's rescue. Rehoboam's rescue. Going back to 2 um, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 12. You know, he was rescued because he repented. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Look at verse 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 12 verse 7. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, see, God said, all right, you have the the right response to the chastening and the judgment that, that that I inflicted you with. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came unto Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Look at verse 12. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him that he would not destroy him altogether. And also in Judah, things went well. Because he repented, he judged himself, he acknowledged his sin, he he acknowledged that God was right, he said the Lord is righteous, he was rescued, he was rescued. The, his reaction to the prophet was the reason for this. And again, we see divine intervention where God is intervening. First, he allows the king of Egypt to come in and invade Jerusalem. And now he says, okay, now I'm going to step in. I'm going to, to return my hand of protection. And I'm not going to allow them to, dis- to to destroy Jerusalem as much as they could have. The Bible says in Psalms 106 verse 10, And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. We see over and over again in the Bible where God steps in and he He withholds his judgment and he, he intervenes with political affairs. We see that with in the book of Jonah with Nineveh. He did that. We saw uh, different times with the nation of Israel. You know, there was on the island of Maui, there was a tourist, and he lost his wave runner and he floated, he had a life preserver, he floated in that thing all night until he was rescued the next day. I wonder what he was thinking during that time. All night long, floating in there in the ocean in his life preserver. You think he prayed? I wonder if he thought about sharks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your, your old body, your leg just dangling under the water all night long. And he's wondering, am I going to get out of this alive? I'll bet he prayed, i bet he prayed like he never did before. And then he was rescued the next day. You know, God, when God steps in and God rescues somebody, it's not always instantaneously. It's not always the very minute that you cry out to to the Lord for help and deliverance. Many times God will allow somebody to suffer and learn from their mistake before he finally rescues and delivers them. And some people, because he doesn't do it as soon as they want him to, They think they lose faith in God. Well, I asked God for help and he didn't help me. Well, maybe he hasn't helped you yet. Maybe he still is. Maybe he wants you to learn something. He's not just going to save you out of your trouble, especially if you're the one who brought the trouble upon yourself. God's not always just going to jump in there and deliver you. How could you ever learn anything if he did that? Sometimes God just allows you to suffer. When I was growing up, when I was in high school, my brother ran away from home. Mad at at my parents. Didn't want to obey the rules. Wanted a taste of freedom. Wanted to do whatever he could. And he was gone for several days. I remember my mom crying and asking us if we knew where he was. I said, "Ah, I don't know. He's probably had enough, you know, couch hopping and staying with different friends and she was worried so worried about this teenage boy who was out of the house on his own and I remember she was crying and begging and telling my dad we need to go and get him and my dad you know the the man he needs to learn he needs to you know the mother motherly instincts sympathetic and oh no I can't stand the thought of my boy out there and hungry and who knows what and the father he needs to learn he needs to learn and that's exactly what happened he did learn he needed to learn the hard way you know the saying you made your own bed now you have to sleep in it he's the one who disobeyed he rebelled he didn't want to follow the laws he didn't want to obey the rules, so he left. And was it easier? Or did he? No. I remember. You know what happened? The police picked him up in the middle of the night. Somewhere they found him. We got a the parents. We got a phone call in the middle of the night. We have your son. We're here at the police station. You know, three a, three a.m. or something. They found him sitting somewhere in the middle of the night, somewhere cold, and they picked him up. I guess he ran out of places to stay and friends' houses and things like that. And so they, since he was juvenile, they turned him over to the parents. Actually, he did get charged with, with a minor charge. Anyway, they, so they released him to the parents. So my dad went and picked him up. He came home. And we, we woke up because we knew what was going on. And he came home, and man, he smelled just, oh, it was a stench. My, my mom, I remember, my mom, just like the prodigal son returning home, my mom gave him a hug and a kiss and said, I love you. Go take a shower. <laughs> smelled like, like a homeless person. Because he was at that point, and I remember he came in. Oh man, he stank, and his hair looked all oily, like hadn't been brushed or washed in a week. It was, it was disgusting. And you know, and he came home, and you could tell he had been humbled. He had been humbled. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. He didn't want to admit it, but you could tell. You could tell. He missed the home cooked meal and the warm bed and the hot shower and all of that. And he learned, and he so he was rescued. But he still had to suffer until he was rescued. He still had to suffer, just like the prodigal son slopping the hogs. And so that leads me to my final point about Rehoboam. Even though he was rescued, you know what there was in his life? Rehoboam, even though he was rescued, because he repented, there was still Repercussion. Repercussion. There was something, a lasting effect that he had to endure. Look at verse 8 through 10. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Look at verse 8. Nevertheless, they shall be his servants, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, that would be the temple, and the treasures of the king's house. He took all, he carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made, instead of which King Rehoboam made shields of brass and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard that kept the entrance of the king's house. Rehoboam repented. Of his wickedness. God rescued him from Shishak, king of Egypt. But in, even though all of that happened, there's still some repercussion. There's still this this uh, reward, this um, long-lasting effect that he had to suffer in spite of the fact that God had rescued him and forgiven him. It was a partial deliverance is what it was. It was a partial deliverance. It was not complete. You know, God allowed Rehoboam to see the contrast between these masters. God said, you don't want me as your master? You don't want to obey my laws? Okay, here I'll give you another master. Here's a Gentile king, king of Egypt. How do you like that? Compare the two. Which one do you think is harsher? Which one do you think you had a better life under? Obviously, we know when Israel obeyed God, God took care of her. When Israel disobeyed God, God said, Okay, I'll let, I'll let you serve these other masters if you don't want to serve me. Now you can serve Nebuchadnezzar, and you can serve these other Gentile kings. You can serve Sennacherib. And you can, uh, Shalmaneser, these, these, these other Gentile kings, Babylonians, and the Assyrians, and, and go ahead, if that's what you want. If you don't want me, go ahead, you can serve them. How's the contrast? The Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. And Israel learned firsthand how hard it is to transgress against the commandments of God. They came in, you know, Israel, the nation of Israel, when they were invaded, when they were, went into Gentile captivity, these Gentile kings came in, they invaded them, all of the, the crops that they labored for, they didn't get to eat of that. They took their young men and made them slaves. They abused the women. They did whatever they wanted with the women. War crimes. We you you read about these war crimes during history about Japan invading China and Russia invading Germany and all these things and all these human rights violations and these war crimes and how they went and massacred these people and killed the the babies and and and, and dis, 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 these terrible things that happened with the nation of Israel. Listen, it got so bad that they withheld supplies coming into the city, which caused a famine. The famine was so severe, it says in the Bible that they were resorting to cannibalism. They were eating their own kids. Why? That's the chastisement of God. Because they were worshiping idols. You, and it wasn't just worshiping idols bowing down to a statue. Let me tell you how bad it was. They were offering their own babies as burnt offerings to these pagan idols and these pagan gods. That's why the chastisement of God was so severe on Israel. Because of the wickedness was so depraved that they they started sacrificing their own babies. They started erecting these, these idols and, and all of these, these, these pagan objects and things in the actual temple. That's how bad it was. And that's why it was so severe. We see that there was repercussion, even though God rescued Rehoboam. Rehoboam thought the law of the Lord is too burdensome. You know what Jesus said? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus said. Notice that it says in verse 10 that Rehoboam, he had to make shields of brass because the king took away the gold. You know what that is? It's an inferior substitute. Inferior substitute. There was a price to pay. There was a price to pay. Just because somebody gets saved and God forgives their sins doesn't mean that they will never reap for their past sins. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can reap for your past sins before you were saved. You can reap for your sins after you were saved. You can still be forgiven. And God will take away the sin. God's not necessarily going to take away the result of that sin. Some of the things that people were involved in before they were saved or even after they're saved... They reap for that years, sometimes years later. Listen, you you smoke cigarettes your whole life, and God forgives you of that, you could still die of lung cancer. The inmates in prison, some of them, a lot of them are saved. Actually, I'm surprised how many of them, maybe I'm not surprised at this point, but many of them... I would say most of them that I've ministered to, they claim to have been saved before they were incarcerated. And I'm thinking, well, what went wrong? Here you say that you were raised in a church, you were raised in a Christian home, and you were saved, and this and that. And, I'm, and here you are. Inmate after inmate after, after inmate, I see that. Most of the guys who come to the chapel service, I try to ask them, so, so you have some sort of a church background or... Uh, well you know I try to feel it out some of them they say oh well I got saved here in prison but most of them they tell me that they oh I was saved when I was a teenager I went to this church and I was saved and and then I'm thinking okay what are you doing here and they say God put me God put me in here to get my attention I'm being chastised for my sin i I went off the path and I got involved in some things and here I am and I'm thinking well okay (laughs) Uh, I'm glad you have the right response and the right attitude and you're realizing the error of your way and you're trying to get your focus back on God but they still God's not going to say oh you got saved in prison okay you're going to get paroled immediately now I've forgiven you of your sin no that's not how it works that's not how it works they still have to do the time You know, David, King David, after he did what he, his sin, God forgave him. But we read in David's life, we see David still had to suffer for his sin. Maybe not as much if he wouldn't have acknowledged and repented what he did. But we see even though David acknowledged the fact that he had sinned against God, even though David repented, God still said, okay, David, here's what's going to happen. And what happened? Well, several things happen. Several things happen in David's life. Repercussion, repercussion. So that's Rehoboam. That's the life of Rehoboam. We see some, some bad things. We see some good things. We see some lessons we can learn from Rehoboam. We see that Rehoboam, he rejected God's laws and commandments. Because of that, we saw there was retribution. There was punishment. There was a price to pay because of that. We see Rehoboam. When this happened... Thankfully, he repented. And because of that, he was rescued, but it was only a partial deliverance. It was not complete. We still see that there was still some suffering. We still see that the, he still had some repercussions because of his initial disobedience. What can we learn from that? We can learn that there are lessons that happened in the Bible with kings, with the nation of Israel. That we can apply to our lives today as individual Christians in the New Testament. This is very real when it comes to the life of a Christian. A Christian can reject the Word of God in certain areas in his life or in, in his whole life, even as a Christian, born again. And then we can see that God's chastening hand has to come upon that Christian his response should be that of repentance. God, many times, will withhold or not withhold, but discontinue the chastisement once you've learned. But in spite of that, many times for a Christian, there's still some repercussions afterward because the law of sowing and reaping—you, uh, you, you just—you do certain things, and God can. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. God can work through that and all of that. But sometimes the damage has been done. And there's a saying, it's good to learn from mistakes, but they should not always be your own mistakes. It's better to learn from the mistakes of others. It's better to learn from the mistakes of others. You see these campaigns and these posters and these things about trying to persuade kids not to get involved in drugs and certain things and they'll have... How many of you seen some of these posters of these uh, what they call ice heads, meth addicts? It looks like the Night of the Living Dead. Well, you don't even need to see the poster. You see them walking around <laughs> all over the place. Some of these, I mean, they just look horrible. And there's this campaign in these ads and they say don't try meth not even once and they have a poster of an addict sores all over their face and they look like they've aged you know 20-30 years beyond what their actual age is and they just look horrible trying to persuade kids not don't try that stuff it's good to learn from mistakes but they don't always have to be your own mistakes. You can look at the effects of sin on other people and say, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try that stuff. And you can save yourself a lot of trouble. Because there are a lot of people who have gotten involved in stuff like that, and then they had to learn the hard way. And they were one of those people, and the effects, even though they quit, the effects and the repercussions have stayed with them for years and years and years. A Christian can learn from the mistakes of people in the Bible, all around us. And so that's the life of Rehoboam. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these examples you've given us from King Rehoboam. I pray that we would take these matters to heart. We would not forsake your law, but we would obey you that when... Your chastening hand does have to come down that we would have the right response and that we would prevent a lot of these things that could potentially happen. In Jesus'
4: name, amen.